Um, just a bit about myself, I'm a current York student, uh, about to go into my third year. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you, Karis. Uh, my name is Elham Fardad. Uh, I am 47 years old and I have, um, I have uh, two children um, and have had a very rewarding career as a finance director and transformation director for 23 years in uh, large companies, um, GE, News Corp and Ernest & Young. Um, I launched a charity three years ago called Migrant Leaders, which helps um, 16 to 25 year olds from BAME and disadvantaged backgrounds through our leading practice development program, giving them um, senior mentors from FTSE 100 and leading companies and experiences and connections for young people. That's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, success is not a destination uh, when we call someone successful. Um, certainly for myself, um, I think the journey continues. Um, as soon as you achieve something, you want to do better for your beneficiaries. You want to do better for your employees, for your customers, for your clients, for your society. So um, first of all, I, I don't think I can ever label myself successful. Um, if I've done at least most of the things I wanted in my lifetime, then that's the ultimate destination. <laughs> um, but in terms of my journey, I think I alluded to it at the beginning that, um, that I'm 47 years old, um, happily married with two kids, um, and have had a very rewarding career so far. Um, but life wasn't always so good. Um, I... When I was 18, actually, I found myself uh, as a young migrant in the UK, um, having come to the, from the Middle East at the age of 13. At, eight, at 18 years old, I found myself um, really without any money, um, without uh, any uh, visa, with no money, um, plenty of problems. My family had broken up um, and I found myself pretty alone and with no hope. Um, from that point, actually, I um, really stayed with some of the principles that I knew for sure. And what I knew for sure was that education is one of the key ways to succeed in life. So I knew that I've got to go to university, that that was very important for me. Uh, but the problem that I had was that um, I didn't have a British passport. I was a relatively new migrant to the UK. And so I didn't have funding. Um, and I had just saved 4,000 pounds by teaching maths and selling stuff the previous few years in, in, in Birmingham where I um, grew up. Um, and I gave my 4,000 pounds to my mum, who I really thought at the time needs it more than me. So having done that, once again, I was penniless. And I realized that um, for me to have a chance of um, being able to afford university, I need to convince Birmingham City Council to pay for my tuition fees so that I can then work and pay for my living expenses. Um, but I would not be counted as a home student because I was a migrant. And I camped outside uh, Birmingham City Council offices for three days in a row until I managed to talk to someone who um, really uh, helped. Um, this was a long time ago. I can't remember the full details, but uh, I remember that they helped me and I received a wonderful letter that said, uh, I will be counted as a home student, which enabled me to go to university. That was really a lifeline. 
Would you like to share a little bit about uh, your journey to become a sort of successful CEO of two organisations? That's, that's phenomenal. Um, so what, sort of following on from that, um, what would you say that the key aims are of migrant leaders? Very, very good question. Um, there's kind of an initial aim and then there is an end aim. The initial aim is to give real tangible opportunities to young people right now. Because every young person, it looks like they start from the same point in life. And then the lack of opportunities begin to show themselves as their life continues. Good decisions, bad decisions, hard work, not putting in hard work, opportunities, luck. All these differences begin to show in our lives in five years time, 10 years time, 20 years time. And the differences become bigger and bigger and bigger. So if we intervene um, in the young person's life early on, we can make the biggest difference. Mm -hmm. So the opportunity really is they get really the right kind of mentoring by the right person for each individual um, early on, which really changes the direction of their life and the vision they have for their career. They get connections, they get work experiences, they get top names on their CVs. Um, and really a community that supports them. So the aim is to give them that, these opportunities straight away when they join the program. And then the end opportunity, the, aim, the end aim really is, if I look at the Parker Review numbers, they talked about only 2% of UK boardrooms being citizens of color. That includes non-executive directors. If you only look at executive directors, the percentage would be even lower. And then when we look at the migrant population, only 1.3% of directors were migrants and all of them were privately educated. So if through migrant leaders, if through my charity, um, just 10 of our young people who are first or second generation migrants or ethnic minority if 10 of them make it into FTSE 100 boardrooms in 20 30 years time we have multiplied that number that number almost tenfold yeah that's phenomenal and I, I i would be surprised if we don't get at least a few of them there because the talent i have seen has really surprised me uh, more specifically about uh, uh, migrant leaders. So what sort of compelled you um, to found the organization? Well, from the time that I went to university, I spent the following 23 years um, moving up the corporate ladder. By the time I was 25, I was a financial controller in GE and I progressed pretty rapidly from there. Then when I was at EY, um, it was in kind of uh, summer 2017, um, I was fairly satisfied with what I had done so far. I had been mentoring a number of um, ethnic minorities at work, younger people, and I thought I'm doing all right uh, in my career and also making some additional contributions. And then a report was published called the Parker Review, which looked at the ethnic diversity of UK boardrooms. Mm -hmm. And the numbers looked a lot worse than I expected. And I realized that given the 
problems that we know young people have, given the challenges that they have, I knew and I knew what disadvantage feels like. I knew what it's like not to have connections, not to have money, not to have opportunities, and how many doors you've got to knock on before one of them says, uh, yes, you have a opportunity. So I knew what that feels like. And I realized that if we don't do something big about this, each and every one of us, if we don't do something big about this, nothing is going to get better. In fact, if we don't do anything, things have a tendency of getting worse. So the onus on, is on each one of us to do something about it. So I launched Migrant Leaders for that reason. Hmm. Um, I started by thinking, okay, what was I missing when I was young, between 16 and 25? What could I have done with? So it's really uh, connections, mentoring, work experiences, um, top company names on one CV, insights, direction, a vision for a career. You know, all of those things, feeling that I belonged to an organization who would support me. Um, so I started like that. I then I did the high level design of the program, you know, the mentoring work experiences and the training. And then I tested it with some young people in a youth conference in October 2017. Mm. And I thought the young people were really going to congratulate me how wonderful and leading practice this all is. And they were brutally honest. Uh, and I'm so glad they were. That's the, one of the many things that, are, that is really special about young people. Uh, they are brutally honest and I loved it. I remember a particular 16-year-old, really clever girl. She said to me quite emotionally, but this is not how young people learn these days. Mm -hmm. So I asked her, I said, tell me some more. What are you thinking? She said, it's very rigid. You're saying, well, you, you will do this in your program first, then we'll do that, then we'll do that in, in this certain order. We want to be in charge. We know what we want. And also, we are very busy. There are a lot of pressures on us these days for extracurricular activities, academics, get work experiences, apply to this, apply to that. So, so really, we, it needs to be more modular. We need to have more options. It needs to be a bit more flexible. And I really took that on board. Um, I then went and adjusted that program and I tested it with a few experts in education, public sector, big companies, and then I started delivering the program and um, learned some more uh, from the young people. So, so at the moment, um, what, where the program is today, we've got 475 senior mentors from more than 95 big firms from more than 95 big companies in all sorts of jobs and careers um, and in all sorts of industries. So we're able to match the mentors to the specific aspirations and strengths of each of the young people. It's really, really interesting to see how you really took on board the opinions of, of the young people um, in that group. Amazing how much support you're giving to allow those individuals to even sort of consider positions and you know, in, in huge boardrooms where a lot of it's predominantly sort of white, uh, white men and, and people from sort of underrepresented, uh, not from underrepresented backgrounds. But I've got to say, I've got to interject um, about that, actually. Um, my advice to young people would be don't exclude anyone because inclusion should not, in my view, be at the cost of excluding any particular group. Some of my um, biggest supporters and sponsors and advisors were middle-aged white men who were my bosses 
um, sometimes they were my bosses in the big companies I worked in. So um, I would say have gratitude, have humility, um, have a positive mindset and, and those who are willing to support you and sponsor you and guide you, take it on board. There are more good people than we realize. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, so you sort of um, mentioned that uh, you support your um, sort of ment mentees through um, all sorts of support, but um, so what, what's the needs? Because um, first generation migrants often experience family breakup, um, particular financial difficulties, loss of a status, loss of resources, connections, know-how. Um, some of those um, challenges are quite severe and sometimes they have funding problems for universities. So uh, actually as a direct response to that, um, this summer we launched um, our Migrant Leaders Opportunity Fund because there were a few of our mentees on our program who are first-generation migrants and they are exceptionally strong students who got offers to go to top five universities and Russell Group universities and did not have the funding yeah. because they wouldn't be counted as a home student and they had to pay overseas rate fees in some cases. Um, so the Opportunity Fund within our um, uh, charity um, would select such students and the charity would pay for their tuition fees uh, for the duration of their whole university degree. Yeah that's brilliant especially when you were sort of in a similar position yourself and now you've sort of had the opportunity to support others and it's really really interesting. It's a privilege to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know in life mm, I would say to young people money is not your limiting factor. Um, your purpose, time, energy is your limiting factor. If you have the right purpose, the right vision, you put time and energy into things, that those are the most precious resources you have. Um, money, you can always earn it. Funding for the charity, I can always um, go and get funding from uh, the brilliant corporate partners that we have, uh, from a handful of brilliant individuals who are willing to support us. Um, we can always we can always get funding for the charity if what we are doing is really good. Do you offer to first and second generation immigrants um, with respect to sort of the program you offer? That's a brilliant question because um, the program has now been running for almost three years and we are beginning to see the representation of young people. We now have almost 400 young people on our program. 96% are BAME and um, many of them are first or second generation migrant. 4% of them are actually white British because a couple of years ago, we opened up the program to white British kids from disadvantaged backgrounds because I read a um, report by King's College that looked at the educational attainment by different um, ethnic uh, groups and actually the white British boy from disadvantaged backgrounds um, was at risk and I felt that our program is so good and uh, all young people from disadvantaged backgrounds would benefit from our program and it just felt right to open up the program to those applicants as well. So to answer your question, um, particularly um, the 
first-generation migrants who form part of our um, young people going through our program, they have the same needs as the others on the program, but they often have additional. You sort of talked about your journey uh, towards migrant leaders and your career, but what were the main hurdles that you faced both in your career and in founding uh, migrant leaders? Um, plenty of hurdles. Um, life is full of hurdles. Everybody faces hurdles. Um, the mistake we mustn't make is when we come from disadvantaged background, whether migrant or disadvantaged, um, whatever disadvantages we come from, the mistake to make is to think that um, people from affluent families or privileged backgrounds uh, don't have any hurdles. They also have hurdles, just different kinds of hurdles. Yeah. So everybody has hurdles and we must be resilient when it comes to hurdles. We might have, we must have really a um, problem solving approach to hurdles. We mustn't think like, why me? Why me? I, 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 you know, I'm a victim. So first of all, I always believed that, um, I always bring the analogy for, to young people of oil and water. Trust your nature. Trust that you are oil and you can put oil in a bottle of water. You can shake it however you want. The oil will always rise to the top of water because that's its nature. So believe that if you believe in yourself that you can overcome hurdles, um, you will find a solution. There's always a solution. So the hurdles, to answer your question, what hurdles did I come across? My goodness, so many. <laughs> the biggest hurdle, if I can say, the common denominator from the beginning of my career until now has been that I dream too big. <laughs> the biggest <laughs> hurdle is myself. Um, people always told me, why do you want um, why did you want to be a financial controller by the time you're 25? Why did it have to be GE? Later on, why did you um, want to be a finance director by the time you're 30? Uh, why did you have, want to have two kids instead of one? Why did you um, want to be so hands-on with your kids? You know, there are all sorts of um, th ways that you stretch yourself. Um, um, then when I, um, when my kids were old enough, I decided that now is a good time to move into management consultancy. And I remember saying to myself, it has to be the big four. Mm -hmm. And I really went for it. And I got into EY and I'm so pleased that I got into EY. It was the right decision because those following 10 years, I learned so much from really uh, leading practice processes and some of the best people in the industry. Um, and I really learned what great looks like uh, in management consulting. The hurdles really were that I always stretch myself to achieve as much as I can. The first hurdle was the financial controller job in GE. It was in GE Energy, in GE Power Systems on a manufacturing site. Um, the finance department that I was managing um, as um, one of the employees um, told me the first day I walk in there is that, we are all twice your age. What makes you think you can be our boss? <laughs> it was literally like that. Uh, I didn't expect that. Um, but she turned out to be a brilliant uh, team member. And we uh, ended up developing a fantastic relationship. Um, she was really an asset in my department the following couple of years. And that has been throughout my career. But hurdles that were external to me, 
I just thought to myself, fine, I'll prove to her what is good about me and I will acknowledge what is great about her and the team and how we can collaborate and achieve greater stuff together. So I try to give them some early wins. I showed them how with me as their boss, they will win as a team and they will win individually in their objectives and in the company's objectives. And together we did amazing stuff. Um, uh, that team was the first team in GE that achieved uh, Six Sigma in the internal audit by GE. Um, there were a bunch of stuff we achieved together that was something we were all so proud of, you know? So that was one of the hurdles and many more hurdles came in the next 20 years. I love, I love the analogy of this watermelon as well. It's, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, so I mean, in sort of previously, you sort of um, mentioned um, that perhaps your A levels didn't go to plan um, due to a variety of, of challenges that you faced. And sort of, how do you sort of stay determined to attend university despite you know the um, sort of setbacks with uh, finance and, and those sort of issues? I didn't handle it very well. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, so I came to the UK at the age of thirteen. Got more than ten GCSEs really really strong grades and then with my a-levels because my parents were separating and i was rebelling by not going to classes and all sorts of stuff the a-levels um, didn't go according to plan and it was a bit of a shock i didn't handle it very well i felt ashamed i felt angry at myself um, it's only now um, 25 years later that um, the shame has subsided. <laughs> it hasn't gone, gone away, but it's subsided. Um, I, 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 I think what I did well with was I compartmentalized the feeling of anger and shame. And I stuck with plan A, which was keep yourself together, go to university, do your job search, enter your career. I compartmentalized the negative feelings. I wished I had faced the negative feelings actually because it took me 20 years to kind of forgive myself for that failure. Yeah. Um, I now realize that often, I know it's a cliche to say, but things happen for a reason. If I had done as well in my A-levels as I was meant to, I wouldn't have known how bitter failure tastes. Maybe I would have been arrogant. Maybe I wouldn't have faced as much adversity. And actually, as a result of what happened with my A-levels, I had to do a lot of zigzagging, what I call zigzagging in the first five years of my career, which means to jump from job to job until I can get the job I thought I deserved, which was the financial controller job in GE by the time I was 25. That zigzagging showed me my goodness, I am resilient. It actually gave me confidence. I realized um, I don't give up. I'm resilient. I'm persistent. I found some uh, good qualities in myself because of that experience. You know what they say, um, that uh, adversity introduces you to yourself. Mm -hmm. So um, don't be afraid of adversity. Um, whether it's self-inflicted or externally inflicted, don't be afraid of adversity. You, you can handle it. Brilliant. And definitely um, lots to think about there as well. Um, 
Who would you say that were sort of the key people that supported you along your sort of career and, and sort of personal development journey? There were many. Yeah. There were many. I was lucky enough that whatever role I took, there was always a leader who took an interest in me. Um, definitely the earliest one that I can remember um, was my physics teacher um, during my GCSE. Uh, and I remember I laughed because I did my sciences, got the A and uh, in physics and um, and he thought, he assumed I'll pick physics A-level and he never spoke to me again because I didn't pick <laughs> physics A-level uh, because my dad at that point had told me I should pick a female-friendly um, profession like accountancy. So I did economics instead, uh, which I also enjoyed actually. But the physics teacher believing in me as a new migrant in the UK, I remember that felt great. Um, <laughs> And then after that, there was a lecture at university called Phil Burnett. And he, he, his case was really special because he believed in me when I had just done my A-levels and I was feeling really ashamed of those A-level results. And he believed in me. He could see my talent and enthusiasm and my vision for my future. Um, he really saw it and believed in me. That meant a lot. That meant a lot because it helped me give myself a chance again. I think I wrote to him when I got the GE job <laughs> and, and he said that he sat down, he wrote back saying me and my wife sat down and read your letter and we were full of smiles. I just wanted to give him the satisfaction of knowing what the impact of what support he gave me had. So, so that was Phil Burnett and then later on Glyn Palmer in Seven Trent. Um, David Parks and Alan Sides in GE. There were many. Stephen Daintith in um, News uh, Corporation, um, James Meader and others in EY. Um, um, there were there were many many people who really genuinely uh, supported, sponsored, and helped me. Many many too many to name here. <laughs> Brilliant! Yeah, it's amazing how how many sort of role models you sort of found along. Uh, your sort of journey and and how many people supported you and just simply just believing in in your aims and your goals yeah. I mean my advice in relation to that to young people would be don't think that you need one mentor or one advisor or one role model only at any point in time you are allowed to have more than one of those at any point in time because you know we are all unique I have my strengths and weaknesses. I have a stuff that I'm good at and I might be a role model in some respects and not a role model in other respects. So wouldn't it be great if a young person learns from a handful of people? Um, so you've got to select who you need at any point in time. What kind of advice, what kind of connections, what kind of role modeling you need at any point in time given your objectives next? What are the key critical success factors for your next step in your career? And go out there and get the role models, mentors and advisors for that particular time in your um, career. Yeah, that's brilliant advice. So if you were, for example, like 18 again, uh, what advice do you think you'd give yourself? I would say worry less, believe in yourself, Everything that is supposed to happen will happen. Be patient, be kinder to yourself, yeah. and, um, and just keep going. 
Yeah. Keep going, it will happen. Don't worry. Yeah, that's brilliant. And it's and especially at sort of the age of 18, you're sort of so unsure of your future career path, your uh, even your own, your own life really at that stage. It's sort of, sort of just stepping I, out of college and you know you don't know where you are. So that's, that's excellent advice. In, in some respects, it's great to be young. I remember, I'm young enough to remember what it feels like to be young. <laughs> so I, in one respect, it's nice because you think you've got nothing to lose. So you have fun, everything you do is with uh, gusto, you know? Um, but on the other hand, every area of life is still pending. It, your education, your job search, your relationships, um, your financial status, sometimes your visa status, where you're going to live, and your family, they might need help. Um, there's so much pending when you're young. And then added to that, um, the current challenges of coronavirus and economic downturn, um, racial um, tensions, um, ethnic, ethnicity, and some of the divisions that seem to exist in society add extra pressures. So how do you sort of manage your time? Because, you know, you're sort of supporting two major organisations. and um, Everybody does time management in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, but what seems to be common among people who manage their time well is um, order and structure. I am a very structured person. Um, that may not be for everybody. I... Um, I'm very process driven, very structured and very organized. Um, uh, you know how they say that necessity is the father of invention. Um, I have to be organized and structured because as you mentioned, I've got migrant leaders, which takes almost all of my time and ID inclusion on top of that uh, as a, as a enterprise helping companies uh, get their inclusion ecosystem right so that when talent gets there companies are ready and um, and then I've got two kids I run my household uh, my husband works for Accenture so um, very busy um, you just have to be structured and organized um, and occasionally say no to things um, you know for example podcasts like this or talks um, I would never say no to something like this because I can, my time is always well spent and my energy is always well spent if uh, the message goes to young people and if it helps some young people in their future. So when something fits my purpose, it's a good way of spending your time and energy. But if it doesn't fit your purpose or it's with people who you don't share values with, I would say, say no to those things. Going back towards sort of your, your university and your sort of educa uh, education journey. So has sort of attending university at Hull as well as uh, Oxford and, and Warwick supported your career? So very good question, actually. Um, I think the experience that I got, the professional experience that I got in my career um, boosted my career more than my education did. Um, there were a bunch of things I didn't know about this country. It's just lack of know-how. When you're a migrant, you don't know uh, how important it is to go to a good university because those days, especially the employers really looked at that. Um, I didn't know that I could have done a science degree and is still going to accountancy. If I had known that, I would have done a science degree or maths, you know, stuff that I loved. Um, but, you know, I didn't know that. Um, 
Later on, uh, when I started at GE, um, I embarked on a Warwick uh, Executive MBA, and that was particularly useful. Again, it was very lucky because um, with an MBA, uh, you get to study a variety of subjects like marketing strategy, operational management, and that was the, exactly the kind of things I needed to study as I took my first management role as a financial controller in GE. And because I was quite young at 25, I didn't have that knowledge. Having done a finance and accounting degree, I needed to know about operational management. <laughs> I needed to know about marketing and strategy. So it was quite lucky that the Warwick Executive MBA, which I was doing in the evenings and weekends on top of my full-time role at GE, uh, was very timely um, in terms of the, the actual role that I had in GE. The roles of a CEO. You must deal with a lot of complex problems on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, how do you deal with this? More than complexity, I would say there is ambiguity. Mm. Um, complexity is not a big challenge. I think ambiguity is even more challenging. Um, complexity, you can always apply your models of thinking and you can apply logic, experience, data points, analysis, um, you can work out complexity. Uh, the art of turning ambiguity into action plans, to me, that's a bigger talent. Usually I can see the link between things and I usually can see what actions we need to take from an ambiguous situation. And when I can't see it, I go and talk to other people and see what they think. And even when I can see it, often I go and talk to other people to see if I might have been wrong or whether I need to refine my approach a little bit. So, um, you know, one of um, the patrons of our charity, um, Rene Carayol, uh, one of the things he always says is collaboration is the new leadership. Yeah. You know, Rene is really good at that. And he coaches Fortune 500 CEOs in how to be more inclusive and collaborative and have a, a sustainable leadership mindset. So Rene Carayol is phenomenal. Um, and, uh, you know, he always talks about uh, collaboration is the new leadership. Um, and I totally agree when I look at um, what's made me successful is collaboration really been interesting on, on the sort of collaborative approach you take to to problem solving um so looking uh, at your career um perhaps before uh, migrant leaders what would you say is the most common myth uh, in the finance industry for people who are thinking of, of pursuing that hmm. i think the myth has to be that accountants are um being counters and you'll be doing bookkeeping and double entry, you know, bookkeeping. And it's not like that. Um, yes, there are, um, there are, uh, there is financial accounting and you will be posting journals and producing financial statements and you'll be doing double entry, you know, bookkeeping and all of those things. But finance is a varied, um, varied career. Um, you can turn a accountancy and finance career after you qualify as an accountant, you can turn it into what you want, which is what I did, because I knew that I'm interested in operations, in commercial aspects of a business, and I knew that um, I can 
reach the top of a finance function by becoming a finance director and have much wider impact on the businesses that I work for. Um, even, even if you don't take the path that I did in finance, you can become a financial accountant, a management accountant, a tax accountant, and, um, an auditor, you know, internal auditor, external auditor. You can work in practice. You can work in industry. There are so many options and each of them are actually very different. And it takes different skill sets and different types of people. Yeah, that's brilliant. And, and I'm sure that would be a huge uh, relief, I'd say, to, to people who are sort of thinking, oh, no, is this what, you know, what is, what's the finance industry really like? Look, if, if they're not sure, my one piece of advice would be talk to a couple of people who have a couple of alternative careers in that field. Hmm. Talk to someone in practice and talk to someone in industry who's in finance. And above all, try and get some work experience in that field through maybe uh, work experience, summer internships, um, and then you can make up your mind yourself. Perhaps something a bit more sort of in general, you've, you've touched on loads of really, really um, interesting and, and important advice for um, young people sort of early in their careers. But what would you say be your sort of key advice to young people? It's got to be persistence. I think if I had to say one quality because persistence is different to resilience. I would say persistence in my mind is the most important thing, which is basically, which basically means don't give up. Yeah. And you might think someone like me is resilient, persistent, strong, confident. I'm not like that all the time. <laughs> there are plenty of days that I don't feel I am any of those things. So whenever on a particular day for a particular week, sometimes for a whole month. You might not be as persistent or strong or resilient or confident as you usually are. It's okay. Just pick it up and keep going. Just pick yourself up and keep going. It's all right if you're not strong all the time. Really interesting to hear, especially from someone who, you know, has, as, as you mentioned before, faced um, setbacks um, yourself. So that's wonderful. Um, just sort of final question, really. Um, What's next for you and, and for migrant leaders? Very good question. If you had asked me that a couple of years ago, I would have said, oh, I don't know. Isn't that, a, isn't that exciting? <laughs> but I now have a full 10-year vision in my mind for migrant leaders. And no doubt what will happen within that vision is going to iterate, yeah. um, you know, you know, I have a flexible mindset, actually. But in my mind, I have now seen enough evidence and I have seen the incredible support for migrant leaders, which means we can reach out to as many young people in the UK as possible. We've got to positively impact as many young people as possible. So scale up the charity, increase the number of corporate partners. Um, you know, we've got 475 senior mentors from more than 95 big companies but we have three fabulous formal corporate partnerships in in the form of um anglo-american cantor and smith and nephew each of whom have been incredibly engaged with us the last two three years and investing a lot of resources uh, into migrant leaders so expand corporate partnerships with uh, other companies in different sectors so that we can widen the experiences that we give to our young people. 
and um, you know keep keep doing this for young people keep doing this for the British economy and for British society and and as a side thing to show that anybody can contribute to British economy and society whether they're ethnic minority or not whether they're migrant or not whether they're female or male whether they're young or not everybody can contribute to British economy and British society and we've got to support everyone and enable them to do that um, and I just want to say a huge thank you for uh, agreeing to allow me to host the podcast um, and you've given uh, such fantastic advice um, so yes thank you very much thank you it's been a pleasure to get to know you as well and I hope we keep in touch I'd love to hear how your third year at university goes and what you do next